Chapter 16 In the days following Jackson's subordination, the atmosphere of the ship thickened. The crew's thoughts grew heavy and filled the ship like a vapor. They could feel Jack's presence below, locked away in the dark stink of the ship's brig. And although none spoke of it, the shadow of the captain's accusation was present in everyone's mind. Mutiny, however small or justified, was no light matter. Even the hint of it was enough to win a man a flogging. And Jack had done far more than hint. The captain made no mention of the appointing of a new first mate, though others stepped in to fill the void. Tan gave orders, but he had to contend with Bill. Bill coveted the job and turned his dislike on Tan when Tan stepped in to try to fill it. The reality was that neither of them could. Jack's boots were bigger than his feet suggested, and over the past months the divisions on the ship had become sharper and more defined. No man in Bill's camp would take orders from Tan, and likewise none of those sympathetic to Jack's defiance would hearken to Bill. Combined with worries over Jack, the splintering of the crew turned the atmosphere of the rattlesnake into an impressive murk of whispers, suspicion, and distrust. In the past, the captain was seldom seen about the ship. It was rare for him to leave his cabin unless business demanded it. But after the kingfish, he took to making regular tours. On more than one occasion, Finn felt eyes upon her and turned to find Creech glaring at her in silence. He sent shivers down her spine. Though he never said a word, Creech's eyes told her all she needed to know. He was looking for mutiny, as if Jack's insubordination had spawned a festering mold somewhere in the ship, and he aimed to ferret it out and stamp it dead. Finn tended to nut every chance she had, changing his bandages, bringing him water and food, sitting with him when she was able. He would heal up fine, but it would take time. Nut remembered nothing of that day or his beating, and he often asked after Jack and the captain, as if they might pop in to see him at their earliest opportunity. Finn would tell him they were busy about the business of the ship, and he'd frown. She questioned him gently at times to see if his memory of the event was returning, but he never answered, and he never asked what caused his injuries. Of the rest of the crew, only Tan ever asked after him, with anything that seemed more than common courtesy. The other men had always been distant from Nut. He had no real friends except for Finn, but she'd never taken much notice of just how much they avoided him until now. They weren't merely indifferent, though. It was something else. Shame, maybe, the same shame that she'd felt when she hadn't stopped his wounding. The shame that kept her coward on the rail while Nut was beaten and bled for no crime at all. Finn sat next to his hammock, changing his bandages. She asked him questions to ply his mind for memories of how he'd been hurt, but as ever he remembered nothing. When he at last fell asleep, she shook her head and continued washing his cuts and wrapping them fresh. He never remembers, said Tan from behind her. She hadn't heard him come in. But he doesn't seem to remember any of it, said Finn with a wrinkled brow. This isn't the first time, you know. Remember I told you Nut used to be a right good boxer? Yes, said Finn. Well, he was more than that. He was first mate before Jack. Nut was first mate? Finn was sure he was joking. Aye, and a good one. Tan's eyes glazed into memory as he talked. Ran a tight ship. Took lip from no man and gave boot to many a lazy sailor. Most figured he'd end up his own captain one day. Well, what happened? Same thing what's happening to Jack, in a way. Tan looked grim. He scratched his chin and frowned. We was crossing from West Africa. Late summer, must have been two, three years back. Old Tiberius had us running slaves. None of us liked it. 
But the captain ain't one for listening to no one but himself. Bad luck running slaves, terrible stink, and diseases, and it hangs a darkness on a man's soul. Half the cargo was dead before we was halfway to Charleston, and most of the other half was sick. You can't imagine the smell. Can't breathe, can't sleep at night listening to the sickness coming up from down below. If death got a sound, I heard it. Every morning we'd throw a net down and the Negroes would laden their dead on it. We'd haul them up and throw them overboard. One time some live ones got in the net with the dead, maybe hoping we'd throw them into the water as well. And that got the captain furious mad. He beat a couple of them to death just to teach the others a lesson. And that was the last time talk on the snake started to whisper in mutiny. The sickness didn't stay below, see? The crew started wasting away. Saw twenty mates flush their bloody innards out their bums before they died, screaming and bleeding out every hole God give them. It was Captain Creech they blamed. Bad luck, hauling the devil's cargo. And hell was the next berth many of them seen. About two days east of Charleston, the wind and sky turned hellish as well. Nut told the captain we'd best swing north a ways, round the storm, and come up into Charleston on the third day. But the captain wouldn't turn aside. The sooner to port, the more live cargo he'd have to sell off. Captain was more than willing to risk sinking us all to Davy Jones' locker, rather than spend an extra day and see his profits sink instead. Tan paused and considered Nut lying on the hammock in the dark. And that's where Nut and the captain finally parted ways. Nut told him the storm was the death of us all, said it was a great swell of God's vengeance come rolling right at us, said it come to exact payment for the evil Creech led us into by trading Negroes. Nut had the mind of the crew, and the captain nearly did to Nut what he'd done to those Negroes what tried to have themselves drowned. He'd beat Nut like an animal, and I swear he enjoyed it. Then he hauled Nut below and sailed us through that storm. In all my years of sailoring, I've yet to see a worse one. The ocean jumped up so big it blocked out the sky. Couldn't tell what way was up. The wind grabbed everything on deck. Wood, rope, cannon, or crew, and flung it away to the black heart of the storm. The crew wailed and prayed and knew they was sailing straight to hell to drown and burn for Creech's madness. But drown we didn't. Though I reckon God got his vengeance on Creech after all. See, every one of them Negroes died in that storm. And I like to think that God did them a mercy. But the captain was furious mad at losing his entire cargo. He drugged Nut up from the brig where he had him stowed and beat him a second time. Worse even than before. Somewhere between the blows and the blood, Nut stopped being Nut. The price of mutiny, the captain said. And after that, well, Nut had never been the same. Tan stopped and looked at Nut in a tender way that Finn hadn't seen before. It was the same look Sister Carmeline gave Bartimaeus when they laid him in the ground. The look you give a friend that's dead and gone and isn't coming back. Why didn't anyone help him? asked Finn, though she hadn't helped him either. Well, Nut was certainly guilty of mutiny. The captain would have been right with the law to shoot him then and there. Tan shifted on his feet and looked at the floor. But I reckon the real answer is one I don't care to speak. Finn knew the answer and she felt the shame of it, same as Tan. And since then, it's nut the captain beats when a man gets out of line. I tried to stop him once, but it didn't do any good. Only got nut a bloodier beat than he'd got without my help. He ain't Tommy Nuttle no more, he's just nut. Makes it easier. That's why the men keep away from him. They figure he's bad luck, 
Some even figure it was his luck that brought up that storm and brought down the sickness. Tan's face tightened. He didn't agree. A lot of the men aboard never come back after that sail, though. Deserted for better berth. And then a lot of them figured maybe the captain wasn't so much bad luck after all, seeing how he sailed us through that black storm. And then some of us, well, we got no place else to go. Tan stopped and looked at Finn. So you see, some of the men aboard, they was there when old Tiberius knocked the thinking out of Nut's head. And them that wasn't, well, they've heard the tale. So now they're wondering what the captain's got in store for Jack. Most of the men like Jack. Don't think a one of them want to see him get what Nut got. No one deserves that, or else we all do. Well, I'll kill him if he touches Nut again, said Finn without looking up. Yeah, I said that once, replied Tan with a cheerless chuckle. Long time ago. Never seems that easy once you're standing in the captain's storm. Sometimes I think maybe I ought to kill Nut and save him the misery. But that ain't easy either. Again, Tan laid a tender look down on Nut as he slept. Were you friends? Finn asked. Tan didn't answer at first. He just stood there, looking down at Nut. Finn was sure he'd heard her. She didn't ask again. After a quiet long enough to draw the creaks and moans of the ship out into the open, he looked away from Nut and answered, Hi, good friends. Finn leaned over and pulled the fiddle case out from its hiding place among the boxes and crates. She opened it gently and removed the fiddle and bow. She hadn't played it since she left the orphanage, and it felt alien to her. She crooked it up against her chin and let it remember where to sit as she closed her eyes and stroked notes from the wood. She played softly and filled the berth with a gentle cloud of song. The waves beat at the hull of the ship like a metronome, and she guided her song to its rhythm. As she let herself fall into the music, she remembered how she loved it and wondered why she'd abandoned such beauty for so long. After a time, she lowered the fiddle and looked up to find Tan staring at her with something of sadness and amazement on his face. She blushed and shrugged. Fiddler's green, said Tan with a smile. What? Where sailors live the grand hereafter on a wide green field, with nothing to do but fill your cup and bounce a lass to a fiddler's tune. Oh, the green ain't exactly heaven like the preachers preach. They say it's a place for sailors alone, the good, the bad, and all the in-between that ever give his life to the big blue sea. And here you are, Finn Button, the fiddler himself. Tan smiled and laughed. You believe in God, Tan? I ain't no sailor doesn't, answered Tan with a sure nod. A man don't sail his soul away and give himself to the wind and wave without he believes God above can see him to the other side. He looked at Finn. Don't you? Now it was Finn's turn to be silent. She didn't want to believe in God. At the very least, she was certain he didn't believe in her. All her life, she'd listened to the sisters talk and preach about God, Jesus, salvation, and the like. But all she could ever account for was God and his sisters telling her where to go and what to do. All the devils in hell can't come between God and a man he done chose. No one but Peter had ever chosen her. I don't know she said. I don't think we like each other. She squinted up at Tan to see if he understood her. He scratched his head. Well, the sea's no place for a man ain't on good terms with the Lord. I'd keep it quiet if that's your mind. If they knew you and the Lord was in outs, other men might take to heaping all their bad luck on you, like they do nut. Tan raised an eyebrow to make sure she understood. Finn nodded and lifted the fiddle to place it back in its case. She closed the lid and suddenly she stopped. 
There in the case was a great, long, empty darkness in the shape of a gun. Betsy was gone. She thought back. The kingfish. The soldiers. She fired. She cast it away. She could see in her mind where it had fallen to the deck. Then she'd run away across the plank, sword drawn, leaving Betsy where she lay. Finn was instantly angry with herself. It was almost certainly at the bottom of the ocean. and all the commotion and fighting, it would have been kicked overboard. The crew knew it belonged to her, and surely anyone would have returned it had they picked it up. Problem? asked Tan. Betsy's gone. My pistol. I think I dropped it during the fight. Oh, that reminds me. You told me that you could manage with that cutlass of yours. Tan was grinning like his usual self. Well, I think I managed quite nicely, thank you. Well, managed, maybe, but why manage when one can excel, huh? Tan pulled his rapier from its sheath and weighed it in his hand, then considered Nut before speaking. This was nuts. I keep it for him since he's not one to use it anymore. He twirled the blade about once before seating it back in its sheath. Back when Nut was Tommy Nuttle, my friend, he taught me to use the sword. Remember I told you he was a fine boxer? Well, he was a fine bladesman as well. Finn looked at Nut sleeping on the hammock and tried to picture the man Tan had been telling her about, but she still had trouble getting her mind to accept it. What say I pass on a little of that learning to you? You could use it now that you're gunless, he said with a chuckle. You and Nut seem to be good friends. I think he'd bless the teaching if he knew enough to know. What do you say? Finn was still kicking herself for losing Betsy, but she couldn't deny the excitement she felt about Tan's offer. Sounds like fun, she answered, but I'd rather have my pistol back. She rummaged around the birthing area on the chance Betsy had somehow lodged herself in a nook. Tan laughed at her. Come find me when you've got a mind to learn, then, said Tan. He turned and walked away to resume his duties on deck. After Tan left, Finn didn't have to look long around the hold to decide she'd lost the old blunderbuss for good. She soon gave up the looking with a frown and threw herself down in a corner, thinking she ought to find some sleep before her watch. What felt like more than minutes later, she was shaken awake by Art Thomason. His watch was up and hers was on. She grunted loud enough to let him know she was moving, and then he stumbled off into the darkness to find his hammock. Finn climbed out of the hold to the steady creaks and groans of the rattlesnakes slipping southward. She preferred the late-night watch to any of the other watches. Shifts were set up to rotate, and every month she'd get a week of seeming quiet when she mostly lived in the dark. Ship life never lets a sailor truly off-duty, and a man is as likely to end up working every shift as he is his own. But the work ebbs and flows like the tide below, and getting around to the night watch always felt like a holiday to Finn. She padded softly around the deck, whispering hellos to the others coming on watch with her. Topper was at the helm, and she snuck up behind him and jabbed him lightly in the side. He jumped sideways in surprise. Even in the dark, Finn could see Topper was his typical untidy self. No matter what the occasion, he always seemed to be in the process of becoming dirty. He never looked completely filthy. He merely looked like a recently clean man who had doused himself in dirt just before he'd rounded the corner. He also had a permanent hangover, not the kind that comes from drinking, but the kind that hides a belt line beneath a portly belly. No matter what size clothes he wore, that belly would always find its way out to peek at you from between his shirt and shins. When he jumped aside from Finn's jab, his belly danced a little bobble in the moonlight. Morning, Topper, said Finn. Topper harumphed and swatted her hand away as she tried to jab him again. Mind your fooling. The captain's about, whispered Topper with a nervous look around. Creech had been out prowling more of late, but to be out at this time of night was unheard of. What for? whispered Finn. Well, damned if he tells me, muttered Topper. 
Get aloft, for he's got reason to make a fuss. Topper laid a stern eye on her and pointed his nose up at the crow's nest. Finn didn't need to be told again. She was as anxious to keep out of the captain's sight as any man aboard. She climbed down the quarterdeck stair and turned toward the mainmast ladder. The other men were gathered at the forecastle, working at something Finn couldn't make out in the dark. She stepped to the ladder to climb her way up, but before she could clear the boom, a voice broke the night's ease. Mr. Button, said the captain's voice. The hairs on Finn's neck shivered and stood. She felt violated just to hear her name from his mouth. She turned her head down toward the deck and answered, Yes, sir? Join me in my cabin. It wasn't a request. It was an order, and he didn't wait to see it followed. He turned as soon as the words departed his lips and stalked through the door into his quarters. It was a good thing, too, because Finn, in her terror, didn't obey immediately. It took her a few long seconds to gather herself and remind her body to make its way down the ladder. A few seconds that the captain might have seen as reluctance to obey at all. An excuse to accuse her of mutinous conduct was the last thing she wanted to present him with. As she dropped to the deck and started toward the cabin door, her blood ran to her feet and her face turned cold. She couldn't imagine any solid reason that he would call her to his quarters. The only person she'd ever seen admitted there before was Jack, as first mate. Fearing she'd delayed too long already, she crossed the final feet as quickly as she could and rapped on the door. Enter, came the captain's calm voice from within. She turned the latch and stepped inside. Lanterns lighted the interior of the cabin and swung gently from side to side with the movement of the ship. The light pitched shadows long and small in a hypnotic rhythm across the walls and furniture. An oblong table covered with maps and instruments of navigation dominated the center of the room. The captain sat on the far side of the table, facing her, smoking a long, slim pipe as he stroked his mustache. "'Sit,' he commanded, and motioned his hand toward the chair opposite him. Finn obeyed. For an uncomfortably long time, they sat in silence. Creech considered her quietly with narrowed eyes. Finn shrank into her chair. When at last he spoke, his voice was cold and full of breathy pause, as if each word had to find its way among the creaks and groans of the ship to fall at last into her ear. Why are you here, Mr. Button? His eyes narrowed again, but never let up their gaze. Finn felt naked and alone. Well, you, you called me in, sir answered Finn with the meekness of a scolded child. The corners of his lips turned up. Once again he breathed words out at her, and they stalked their way across the room. Why are you aboard my ship, Mr. Button? Well, I was looking for work, and Jack brought me aboard, she said. Finn felt like she was offering an alibi for an unknown crime. The captain said nothing. Again, they sat in silence for a long time. Finn feared she might cry. Suddenly, the captain's hand moved from his mustache into his lap and out of Finn's sight below the table's edge. His eyes grew more intense, never wavering from her face. He was gripping his gun. Finn was sure of it. For no reason she could see or name, she was certain he was about to raise a pistol and shoot her. She froze into the chair. Creech's arm began to rise. Out of the shadow of the table's edge, little by little, his forearm emerged into the swinging light. She couldn't move. She was fixated completely on the hand drawing out of the shadow. The handle of a pistol appeared. Fear and panic hit her like cold water. Still, she couldn't move. Then in one smooth motion, he drew the rest of the pistol into the light 
and pointed it across the table and laid it in front of her. Delicate engravings ran across the metal. Upon the handle, a large embellished B stared at her. It was Betsy. Now, tell me why you are here, he said, his voice sharper than before, but quicker. I I told you I was... Where did you get this? He pointed a bony finger at Betsy. Finn was dumbfounded. She gave him the simplest answer she could. From my father, she said. If not Bartimaeus, then no one was. Creech jumped up, flung the table aside, and picked Finn up by the shirt. Twenty years I've wandered the sea looking for that son of a motherless whore, and the crown got to him before I did. Damn his blood. Creech seethed. He spat each word from his mouth as if it burned him. But now I've got his brat, and you have your father's debts to pay, Mr. Button. Or should I say, Mr. Gan? You knew Bartimaeus? Finn asked in bewilderment, still blenching from his stare. Don't toy with me, boy! Creech threw Finn to the floor and drew his sword. He placed the tip against her neck. Where is the gold? What? Your bastard father made off with more riches than King George himself, and much of it was mine, boy. You think I don't know why you're here? You've come to seal your claim to it with my blood, eh? You're a damned fool. Did you think I wouldn't recognize the gun? I advise you to start talking, Mr. Gan. Captain, I swear I don't know anything about gold. Bartimaeus was... Finn screamed as Creech kicked her in the ribs. You expect me to believe the son of Bart Gan just happens to be hiding under a taken name aboard my ship for no goddamned reason? You mistake me for a fool, child. Twenty years I've been chasing after what I rightly stole and what Bart wrongly run off with. If you don't want to pay the old pirate's debts in gold, so be it. But mind your skin. You'll pay in blood before you burn in hell. He pressed the sword against her neck. Bart wasn't my father. Creech pulled his sword away. He picked her up and shoved her against the wall, then laid his sword across her neck. Lie to me again, boy, he whispered through clenched teeth. The only reason you aren't already dead is that I haven't decided which I want more, your blood or my gold. Don't play games with me. I have nothing to lose. Let me be, and I'll talk. Creech didn't reply. He considered her, considered the blade at her throat with a grin. The promise of gold won out. Finn kept her blood. He lowered the sword and dragged her across the room to the chair. He threw her into the seat and ordered her to speak. I, I, was, I was raised in an orphanage, and Bartimaeus was the cook. He wasn't my father, but he was the nearest thing I ever had. I never knew him for a pirate till the year they hanged him for it, and I swear on Jesus' name he never told me anything about gold. He never talked about his past. Finn spilled all she knew as fast as she could, then sat in the shifting light waiting to see what Creech's cruel mind would make of it. Creech didn't interrupt her. He stood over her, listening, judging her story, twisting his mustache between his fingers. When she finished, he said nothing. Once again, a long, dangerous silence filled the cabin. When at last he broke it, he seemed a different man. His rage was gone, replaced with an uneasy and unnatural calm. 
Well then, Mr. Button, I have decided to believe your story, for the moment at least. If what you say is true, then Bart's hoard, my gold, must be hid within your orphanage. You will lead me there. I will acquire what is mine, and you may keep what is yours. Your life. Preach smiled at her. Had she not known him, she'd have thought it was kind and genuine. Finn didn't answer. Creech would tear the orphan house to pieces for a treasure that might not even exist. She had to stop him. She couldn't lead him there, couldn't loose him upon her home and the people she loved. But for now, there was no defying him. Finn nodded. Good. And should you betray me, as Bartimaeus did? He put his hand around her neck and picked her up. His face turned red and he spit his words at her. Do that! And I will flay your skin and damn your heart to flame in the devil's fancy. Now get out! He flung her through the door and slammed it shut. Finn picked herself up and crawled to the rail. She vomited over the side, then sat shivering in the night air. Her mind struggled to stretch itself around what had just happened. Creech and Bartimaeus. Nut told her when she joined the crew that the captain had suddenly sailed for Savannah and stayed ashore for weeks before she came aboard. He must have heard news of Bartimaeus's execution and come sniffing for his gold. And now he expected her to help him find it. But there was no gold. Bartimaeus never had two coins to rub together. The only belongings he ever had were Betsy and his fiddle. If he had gold, then he'd long since spent it. And if she took Creech to Ebenezer to the orphanage, he wouldn't find it. And he'd kill her. Button, you all right? asked a voice from the darkness. She pulled herself to her feet and turned around. Topper was peering at her in the moonlight. I'm... I'm fine, she lied. Well, get to the nest. Captain takes a nasty dislike to sailors sitting around on the watch. Get up there before he sees you. Finn didn't answer. She climbed up to man her watch and wait for the dawn.